Uh, good evening. Uh, welcome to the uh, National Theatre. My name's Chris Campbell. I'm the literary manager of the Royal Court Theatre. Let's start at the beginning before we get on to the transfer and so on. Can we talk a little bit, James, about your um, choice to write about this period? Because this play is by no means the first time you've looked at this period of British history, is it? No, um, and I wasn't born, so just to get that out of the way straight away. Um, so it's, it's all academic to me, but I, it was just the story for me. Uh, the story just really um, excited and moved me. It's something I, I picked up little pieces of what this parliament was and meant, uh, 74 to 79, during different plays. I'd, been, I'd done a play on Margaret Thatcher, called Little Madam. I'd done a play on The Winter of Discontent, which is sort of the end of this period um, at the Fimbra Theatre. Um, I just kept hearing these stories and these anecdotes about how mad and crazy and, and nuts this five-year parliament was when the last time we had a, a hung parliament. Um, and the efforts of the, of the people either side of the house to, to govern or to stop someone governing mm -hmm. um, and the individual sacrifices that some of the people made just sort of um, really excited me. And also, I just was really excited about that getting inside that building. It seems so mysterious and, and impenetrable, I think, to most people, and it, and it shouldn't be, because it's ours, and we own it, and, it's, and, and we have a right to, um, to peek in and, and see it. So it was about that as well. It's about the building and, and the story. Is it then a coincidence that it's a play about a coalition government, and we have one now? It's a complete coincidence, yeah. Um, <laughs> Is that so? No, not really, but it's, it's, I, I do believe that I, I did... Um, approached the theatre about two weeks after the um, election in 2010 uh, with the idea for it, but I maintain that um, I would have done that anyway. I'd, I'd been thinking about this, this story for, for years and years, and I think uh, and what I wanted to write was not something that would just be a response to a particular election, because I feel that, that that would have made it quite small, and what I wanted to write was something sort of bigger and more timeless than that. So I would hope that even in 60 years, when... UKIP have a majority or whatever, that this still, <laughs> this, the, a look at how that building runs under pressure would still be viable. Although, of course, there won't be any publicly funded theatres. No, um, of course, this so will all be gone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, when did you first become involved with the play? Um, I think it was a first or a second draft, maybe, quite an early draft. It um, was long. It was a very long, yeah. We had, a, I don't know how many people have seen the show, or are you looking forward to seeing it tonight? Yeah. Well, when you see the, the number of votes that we have this evening, when you, when you, when you eventually see the show, if, if, uh, if we're interesting enough for you to go and see the show, then um, just imagine 20 votes rather than the two that you see. And uh, it was that, it was epic, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah, In the rehearsal room, it was probably about four, sort of three and a half hours or something. So it was an enormous, uh, an enormous bit of work, and it was um, just, I mean, the same virtues that it has as a play now. It was um, inclusive. It's an incredible amount of uh, very deftly handled exposition, which in a play like this is crucial. Um, loads of great jokes and, crucially, lots of interesting theatrical interventions that elevate it, I think, from uh, a play about a period in history. It's something much more expressive and fun. I think uh, that's... I mean, the, the, the question, if you haven't seen the play, would be why would you not just watch a documentary if you're interested? And, and you're answering that, in yeah. fact. Well, I mean, James, James is very clever, and I think, he, I think he's got an instinctive understanding of, um, of how to sweeten all the information and the political intrigue and the analysis with a human story, with emotion, 
with jokes um, and with songs and dancing. So, <laughs> you know, it's a kind of wonderful combination, really. And as a director, mm. um, it's just, uh, I mean, I've just rubbed my hands with, with glee. It was such a sort of challenging play to direct, but um, full of great opportunities, you know. Mm -hmm. um, have you been surprised by how successful it's been? No, I always, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, no, massively, and actually that is the genuine truth. Everyone, I don't know whether you find this, but everyone always goes after you get your five stars and after you get your sellouts, and everyone goes, oh, you must have known, you must have known, and actually genuinely, no, I, I, I was, I knew that I really liked it, I knew that I was really excited and moved and made me laugh, but I, I thought it's basically a play about how people couldn't pass legislation in the 70s, and mm -hmm. I really thought no one would find that exciting and uh i bet the marketing department were thrilled yeah, when it okay. arrived it's <laughs> <laughs> a good strap line isn't it <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened for five years in the past um but uh yeah no i'm genuinely surprised and but also really excited as a as a theater goer not even as a writer i'm really excited that there is an audience for this kind of play and mm. this kind of world and we, we i think we're constantly told as young writers that it's not the, the remit of a young writer to write political histories, and I'm, I'm pleased that I've been allowed to and that people seem to like it. One of the things uh, I'm wondering whether one of the things that attracts people to it is the attitude that the play has to the politicians in it. Because I think for a number of years now, our default setting for politicians has been contempt. Yeah. Uh, they're all in it for themselves. They're all the same. You seem to have considerable admiration for the people involved in your play. I... Yeah, well, I, have an, I think in order to write them, you have to have an emotional connection to them, and you have to believe that, like all people, and I do believe that, that most people are deep down good. And it's slightly easier in the 70s because um, uh, there was a, a bigger range of people, what you might call normal people, um, in the 70s who were, get, who were getting into Parliament, whereas now we have uh, sort of a, a smaller pool of people, and they're sort of more polished, and they're sort of more professional. Um, whereas these, I think, I think we can relate to them more on a human level, so it's sort mm. of easier. Mm. Jeremy, did you do a lot of research, or is this play is is this period part of your personal memory? No, I, I, I sort of woke up to politics with right at the end of the play, with the arrival of um, Thatcher. So, what's fascinating for me was that it explained um, it explained the build up to the to the period where I became politicised, if you like. So. Um, I did have to do a lot of research, um, but James is a kind of walking encyclopedia, so that was extremely helpful that he'd sifted and gone through um, loads of out-of-print biographies and memoirs and really done all the interviews and all of that, so that, that was really helpful. We did, um, in rehearsal in the first week, um, we did have a lot of help from a woman called Georgia, who's a clerk at the House of Parliament, so mm -hmm. she sat there to my left, and whenever we had a procedural uh, complication or question, she would um, dispatch our ignorance really easily. And that was fantastic because it gave us permission just to really feel that we were part of the institution and that we understood its mm -hmm. strange ways. And, and often, you know, when, you, when you're doing a play, you do the research in order to present reality rather than to explain it to an audience. And I think an audience will understand, uh, we, they understand authenticity rather than the specifics mm -hmm. of, the, of the gesture. Mm -hmm. And so it was important to me that all of us had an understanding of, of how life goes on and then we just play it and <coughs> let, the audience, let the audience in, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Can we talk a bit then, uh, just for a little while, about the transfer from the Cottesloe to the Olivier? How do you, do, do you get a sense that that might be about to happen, or I, does Nick Heitner just ring you up and tell you that's what's going to happen? Um, I don't know whether I should say this, but he was very, very confident early on that something should happen to it. In fact, one of the first conversations I had with him about the play was him wondering what space it should live in. So I already knew that he'd considered it mm -hmm. um, for the Olivier, and probably like him, my feeling was that it was a complicated new play, and the Cottesloe was probably the best place to to start its journey. But in the back of my mind, I, I certainly had uh, the ambition for it to move into a different space because I felt that the play had um, whatever James says about uh, whether he predicted it be so popular or not. I thought it, I always thought it had the potential to have a very long reach for a bit of pl uh, for a play mm -hmm. to talk to the society and uh, there's something a bit more public about this space than the Cottesloe. So it's great that it's made that journey. Um, but I think. I mean, what's brilliant about um, Nick Heitner and Nick Starr and the rest of the team is that they, they are brilliant at identifying what their resources are and how to get the most out of them. So if we were fairly close with this play, by the time it opened in the Cotterloo and made a, a connection with its audience, um, I knew that they were going to not let it go, you know. And more practically then, the, the design in the Cotterloo was, was a replica of the debating yeah. chamber of the, the House of Commons. So obviously you can't do that in here. Um, was that a was it a big effort to reimagine it for this space? It took a few goes to conceive it because we got it. It was one of those things that we'd got working um, very neatly in the Cottesloe, and it felt like that was the way to do the play because it just felt right, and the audience were enjoying it, and we were enjoying playing it in there, and the cast had settled in. So it felt like a, a slightly difficult thing to readjust and go, okay, this thing that we know and love, we've got to reimagine it, but. Um, Ray Smith, the designer, um, has done lots of shows in here, mm -hmm. so she knows the space really well. Um, and I've got a bit of experience in here, having been a staff director and sitting at the back up there during countless techs. Um, and I'd also, before we got into the design thing, I talked to all the directors and um, writers and people that I knew that had worked in here, particularly people that had transferred shows from the Cottesloe. Mm -hmm. And two things came back from those conversations. And First thing was, in, in the Olivier, it's very difficult to make it look like a full stage. Uh, no matter how many people you have, it always looks a bit empty. And the other problem is that the entrances are often very far away. Mm. So this is a quite a, a neat way of boxing both of those problems so that you can crack on with the, with the drama. Um, and so we struggled around with it, and then I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but Ray came up with the way of doing a bit of both so that the seats behind you and the fact that they can reconf reconfigure themselves um, helps uh, just do a little bit of spectacle that the space seems to mm -hmm. require. Mm -hmm. one, of the, um, one of the pleasures of a show when it transfers from the Cottesloe is we can all stand around going, oh, it was much better when it was in the Cottesloe, you should have seen it then. Um, <laughs> but in fact, you don't think that's the case with this one, do you? No, and I, I have my default reaction any time in the gap between Cottesloe and... Olivia, where people would go, how are you going to recreate the intimacy? I just go, we're not. We're not going to recreate it. Obviously, we can't. It's Olivier. Um, so I would just try and banish any thoughts of anyone who would ever say, how are you going to recreate the show? Because I just thought of it as a new show. Mm. Um, I, uh, me, personally, I, I, there was something so exciting about being the cot in, the, in that space previously that made it really immersive and really um, exciting and like an event. But there's also something really joyous, I think, about um, having it just played and presented and given quite cleanly to an audience, me personally, I think the story, 
points of have, have a clarity in this space that maybe they didn't always in the Cottesloe. And I think also there's just something about having this many people um, reacting that yeah. I think feeds into the, the feeling of, of chaos and frenzy in the Commons yeah. that, that feels really exciting to me. But it's, yeah. And on a, on a technical level, in the, in the Cottesloe, we were all around it. The audience was basically all around it. Um, and here, we're all looking at a single point so that when you do come up with a line that's funny or a bit of plot that you need to land, mm. it's, you know, it's direction. It's, you, you get everybody looking at that moment and it feels like the emotional impact of that is, is yeah. played to a much more unified group of people, which the play really um, responded to. I mean, some, some James did a bit of rewriting and a bit of um, clarifying in the way that some of, the, some of the plotting was exposed in here, wasn't it? And the yeah. rhythm was just slightly exposed. Um, and so James responded in terms of the, just making the lines just a little bit more deadly and a little bit more flinty. Mm -hmm. And in a way where you could get away with some, a character leaving a scene without saying anything and taking that atmosphere away with them, this is quite an unforgiving space for that. So James came up with some strong lines so mm. that you're really not letting the audience off, the, or at least you're aspiring to, to not let the audience off the hook. One of the things about a play like this is that most, in, maybe all the characters in it are, are real people, yeah. many of whom are still alive. Yeah. Um, did they have any input into the play, into its writing or rehearsal? Uh, there was a, a mixture. I, um, uh, yes, I mean, I, I, started, I think my process was I started off meeting people who weren't in the play, but who were around at the time, just so I could get a sense of the atmosphere and the story and the mood without necessarily feeling the, um, the pressure of of um, selling it to them uh, as, a, as a piece, but mm -hmm. uh, no, I was really lucky. Some people I managed to find very easily. Some of, some people we've only just managed to get in touch with, but um, yeah, people like there's a character. Uh, the, the main deputy Labour whip is a is a guy called Walter Harrison, who uh, was, is a legend around Parliament, if not in in the country. And he um, he's thought of as being one of the best deputy whips Parliament has ever seen, and he's this um, this sort of tough. Uh, old school Labour Wakefield guy, um, and he was very generous with his time. I got to go up to his house. He got all his folders and books out, and it was brilliant. It was great to sort of spend a day with people like that, where they would be really, really generous with your um, with, with their time. And I learned so much. I learned so much from that experience. There's not a huge amount uh, published or collected about this this period. I've got no idea why. So mainly for me, it was about speaking to people rather than, than reading books and. Also, what was key to me was I'm, I'm a massive geek, and I, if I read something that I find interesting, I want to put it in the play, and it's already nearly three hours long, so I had to protect myself from, from be, getting too interested in stuff. So I, I thought maybe I could go and meet Dennis Healy, maybe I could go and meet um, a huge range of like Tony Benn, anyone who was sort of high up in the cabinet at that time. But I realized quite quickly that what I wanted to do was not do that and just meet um, the, the lesser-known people and the non-famous people and just make sure it's always a story about people <coughs> backstage, not the story of, of the front-stage politics, because I think we, we're more familiar with that. Mm. Somebody told me that when uh, Frost Nixon was on at the Donmar a few years ago, David Frost came to see it about 12 times. Right. And he, he brought groups of friends with him so they could watch him on stage. <laughs> which is, one way to spend the evening, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's quite good for the box office, isn't it? Yeah. Includes David, <laughs> even as a secondary character. <laughs> so I was wondering whether you have had a similar experience and whether people in or mentioned in the play have been to see it. Yes, well, I think we might have one uh, this evening. Um, and we, a mix, yeah, we had, we, we tried to invite as many people as possible into the rehearsal room. 
um, so they could see that. I sent out the script to people who were in the play so they could feedback before we even started rehearsing. Did anyone object to anything in the play? Um, well, one person actually said I'd been far too nice to them, and then they need to uh, be a bit meaner, so that was nice. Actually, that was in the, in the uh, previews. So yeah, the first time, first well, time it happened... One of, the, one of the characters, can I tell this story? One yeah. of the characters um, saw it and said, actually, what I, what I said, in, I remember exactly <laughs> what I said yeah. in, that, uh, in that moment, and it was this, and I don't want to spoil it, but it, the, the character came up with a very shocking and surprising thing that probably James, out of politeness, wouldn't have put in a in someone else's mouth. And she said, you can put that in this shit. There's only two women in the play. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of the female characters. Um, so yeah, Anne Taylor gave us a great line, yeah. um, which is a fantastic... Uh, in exchange for a promise of discretion, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Can we just talk a little bit, before we go to the audience, can we talk a little bit about the end of the play? Because as, as Jeremy's already suggested, the play sort of ends with the arrival of Margaret Thatcher as a, a major force in British politics. Now, it struck me at the time, and it still strikes me, that that's qu it's quite a daring way to end your play because it's emotionally ambiguous, because it depends how you feel about that, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, completely. And writers usually want some kind of control over how people are going to feel about the end of their play. But yeah. in a way, you've, you've let that go. You've abdicated Is Mrs. Thatcher that. on the phone there? <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, actually, maybe we, we talked a lot, actually, <laughs> about the tone of the end of the play, both like musically, in terms of the lines, in terms of the lighting, in terms of what I'd written, mm -hmm. because I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely wanted to leave it without too much of a judgment on what was to come. It was all about how we got there. Um, and yeah, we, I, we always thought of it as like Star Wars and this being the prequel. We know Darth Vader's going to... not. That, oh, yeah, so not <laughs> judgmental in any way. <laughs> not that Darth... So the no. use of the Jaws theme music is no, entirely... <laughs> um, I mean that very seriously. That I absolutely not make a comment on, on the rights or wrong of Margaret Thatcher, but because uh, that's not the point of this play at all. Yeah, that's but true. yeah, we really did... I thought of this... Um, I feel like 1979 is the start of our modern story. We all know, roughly, because we're still living it, the, the change towards a more capitalist society and, and a different kind of Britain. So this presented me in, with an opportunity to talk about how we, how we got there and... Mm. It's sort of a prequel, yeah, to, the, to, the, to our story that we're living now. I do think you, I mean, you've already mentioned this, but the, the most striking thing about it, uh, to me, is the cast of characters socially, uh, the different types of people, yeah. whereas, I mean, they really do more or less all look the same. yeah, now, no, I agree, they? and that's why it was so brilliant. Just as a writer to play with different accents, different um, class, uh, different professions, the one thing that's, well, there's two things sort of lacking that we have now. There's, there wasn't much racial diverse, diversity, and also there weren't a huge amount of women. I think there's 27 or 33, I forget the numbers. So, it's, so you didn't have that, but you did have a range of, yeah, certainly regional accents and characteristics to play with, which it's sort of, there's a blanding out now, which I think would, would make me in this play in 2013 would be much, it would just sound less interesting. And, um, and as, as a, for a company of actors, that's just a wonderful thing as well. There are hundreds of characters, if you haven't seen it, hundreds of characters in the play. So you have to cast uh, an ensemble that have got the chops to play all of those people, and that's just brilliant to, to work with such talented company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's terrific. Finally, I, I'm interested about what you're going to do now. Are you just going to slowly write your way up to the present, to the present day? day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but of course, it takes so long to write a play that it, it, the present day keeps moving further forward, so there's always more <laughs> stuff. Um, 
I, I, to be honest, I think the next play I write, I'd like to just make up and not have to deal with um, that, that amount of research as much as I loved it. But um, yeah, modern British history to me, particularly post-war, is just so exciting. Uh, There's just so many stories, so many characters, so many themes. Um, that I don't know why I'd ever not always keep looking at stuff and seeing if there's a story there. I'm afraid we have to stop. Thank you very much, James and Jeremy. Terrific. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.